I would like you to open your Bible. Your Bible to the 51st Psalm. And I don't, I don't want scriptures on the board or nothing like that tonight. We're going to do it a little different. Any scriptures I reference, I'll either read them or quote them. So if you're taking notes, that's a good thing. I used to see a lot of people taking notes. So I have no issues with that. It's always good. You know, if someone said with just a little bit of effort, I'll turn this down a little bit, with just a little bit of effort on your and my half, behalf, if somebody asks you with just a little bit of effort on your behalf that you could find the answer to questions that are plaguing you, solutions to problems that are troubling you, but it would cost you a little bit of effort, a little extra effort. Would you be willing to do that? Well, prayer is that answer that will handle every question, every problem, every situation. What really puzzles me, and I say this respectfully and lovingly, I, I don't know that I'll ever have an answer to this that settles my questions. What really puzzles me is when I see people work harder at avoiding prayer than they do if they would just submit to prayer. They work hard at running and having reasons and, and, and excuses and alibis. And, and if half of that effort was exhausted towards the avenue of prayer, there's no telling what God would do for you personally in your life. Faster people are tired. I understand that. But too frequently or too often people are tired because we're chasing meaningless things. We're putting all of our energy or much of our energy into things that don't amount to anything. Now, I'm not talking about chasing dreams that are financial or materialistic. I'm just talking about we chase images in our life. We think if I can get accepted there or be a part of that here, then I'll find contentment. Prayer is begging us to find and tap into the power that is available that is life-changing. It is literally life. I'm not talking about show-off prayer. We're going to talk about how to, how to accomplish some of these things here, but I'm, I'm just trying to lay some groundwork for you. If I could help someone change one thing about their life, I'm talking to preachers, musicians, leaders, elders, young people. If I could help you change one thing about your life, it would simply be this. Quit trying to act like something you're not. Nineteenth century theologian E.M. Bounds. E.M. Bounds, who wrote 11 books. 11 books. Nine of those books were on the subject of prayer. There's a man that had a one-track mind. Listen to this four or five paragraphs he wrote about prayer. I know you're still standing. I'm going to stand a lot longer than you, so be patient with me. Ian Bounds says, When we calmly reflect upon the fact that the progress of the Lord's kingdom is dependent upon our prayer, it is sad to think that we give so little time to the whole exercise. Everything depends on prayer. 
and yet too many neglect it. Not only to our own spiritual hurt, but also to the delay and injury of our Lord's cause upon the earth. He says the forces of good and evil, get this, the forces of good and evil are contending for the world. Does anybody doubt that today? Forces of good and evil are contending for the world. If we would, Bound says, we could add to the conquering power of the army of righteousness, and yet our lips too often are sealed, our hands hang listlessly by our side, and we jeopardize the very cause in which we profess to be deeply interested by holding back from the prayer chamber, E.M. Bounds. <laughs> so with having said that, I'm reading from Psalm 51. It's not on the board. Imagine having to open your Bible. Or turn on your phone, whatever. Get, wherever you read, it's okay. David said in Psalm 51, 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part. Thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Thank God for wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. David's praying now, right? Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with your free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. God, we thank you for your goodness tonight, your word, your precious people in the house. We ask you, Lord, to help us to do exactly what you want. No more, no less, but help us to leave here impacted, changed, and challenged by the good word of the Lord. We'll give you glory for it, God, tonight. In Jesus' mighty name, you may be seated. Theologically, what we just read. Theologically, what we just read, Brother Anthony, is called or referred to as David's prayer of affliction. David's prayer of affliction. Do you ever listen to people pray? It's okay to respond. Ever listen to people pray? Not to be nosy, but to get under their cloud. Maybe to understand or share a little bit of what's going on in their life that they're so concerned with, they're praying about it. Luke 9.34 refers to how the disciples entered into that cloud on the Mount of Transfiguration, and they were afraid. Ever listen to people pray so you can get under that cloud with them? If you were given the power by God, heaven forbid, if I were given, but if you were given the power by God to answer prayer, what type of prayer would move you? Would you be moved by people's looks, countenance, how much you love that person versus how much you don't love the next? If you were given the power to, uh, by God to answer prayer, what type of prayer would move you? The Bible lets us listen in to men that pray, like Jabez in 1 Chronicles 4, Jonah in all of his books. David over and over again, and of course, even when Jesus prayed, we're allowed to be inside of that, that corner. Have you ever said something like this? I really need to learn how to pray more effectively. 
I really want to get to the place in my walk with God that when I pray, something happens. I don't want to just be offering lip service and leave disappointed again. I want to get to the place in my walk with God that as Jesus said, you lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. That's talking about you and I. By the way, that last reference was to Luke 11, verse 1, when the disciples said, teach us to pray, or ask. But common men, and certainly theologians, agree with one thing. David took prayer to another level. Just looking at the examples that we are given in the Bible, David took prayer to an extreme new level. I don't know that there's a better human example we could learn from than the prayers of David written in the book of Psalms. Can I get a witness from somebody? And obviously God knew that also because he had David or somebody pick a pen and paper and write down David's prayers. Somebody was listening to David pray. Somebody was being moved by the words of David's mouth and the sincerity of David's heart. I ask you, what kind of prayer would move you? Well, God was moved by the prayers of this man. The fact is this, though. A prayer that's born of affliction, born out of trial, a prayer that's born out of emergency is never rehearsed, never edited, and it's never practiced. They don't have rehearsal for these kind of prayer meetings. They don't have places where you can go and get all the script just right. Prayers of affliction are born out of emergencies in life. And prayers of affliction aren't graded by the beauty of the words or the political correctness. Can I hear an amen? They are only judged by one thing, how effective they are. I'm talking about midnight prayers over your sick baby, Brother David. I'm talking about prayers when someone gets injured right in front of your face. I'm talking about prayers when your car's careening off the icy road and all you can do is say, Jesus! No time for phonetic screening here. I need to touch God. No time for the approval of the church board. I need to get in touch with the throne of God. Well, the Bible does give us examples, and I'll at least, at least offer you this one, of how not to pray or how we can be certain our prayers won't get God's attention. Like Matthew 6, verse 5, when it talks about hypocrites standing on the street corner or going into churches. Right at Matthew 6, 5, you can check me out. And they're praying long prayers to be seen of men. <laughs> and Jesus said, that's all they get. Just man's, oh... Man's little approval. Brother, if that's all you're hungry for is the approval of man, you've come to the wrong place tonight. We need to learn how to pray so God turns our things in our favor. But to me, Brother Stacy, it seems like David's not interested in standing on the street corner. I see David, between my, in my mind's eye at least, going into the very corners of his own soul and begging for the mercy of God. David 
David doesn't care what you think about his posture when he's praying. He doesn't care about his facial expressions when he prays. Job said, chapter 40, verse 4, I'm vile. Peter said, Luke 5, verse 8, I'm a sinful man. David said, Psalm 22, 6, I'm just a worm and not a man. <laughs> when a man, or as a man is in mankind, male, female, gets to the place where they have no human pride left, no dignity on the shelf remains. That he says to God, I'm just a worm, the lowest of the low. There's something powerful about that man right now. Something powerful about that sister right there. Because they've laid some very big deterrence to successful prayer on the altar. Number one. Number one, I'm talking to me as well as anybody that cares to listen tonight. To, to be more effective at prayer. To know the hand of God is going to work on your behalf. We've got a number one, check our, check our pride on the altar. Check our pride. Check our pride at the altar. It's not about how you look, how you sound, what people perceive of you. When I said, do you listen to people pray? I don't mean like you're, you're hoping for a beautiful, glamorous word structure coming to your ears. I'm just talking about learning how to pray. Sometimes we can learn how to pray by listening to people that know how to pray. Number one, Ron Herring, you have to defeat your pride to learn how to be more effective when you pray. That's difficult. That's about as easy as it sounds. Pride can show up in many different ways. In offense, pride is on, the, is on, on display. When we're offended, pride is on display. When we can't handle the meat of the word of God, pride is on display. When the pastor didn't shake your hand and you're mad, you're going to send a message. Pride is on the way. Is in the way. All right, let me, let me move on here. But even Jesus said, that the dogs have the right to eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. That's Matthew 15, 27. So I've got to check my pride, but realize I don't have to be anything that's approved by anybody to be in the place to receive from God. stories without going against my own lines of concern that I share with the, with the preachers in the house, but it has to do with David. And one story is a story that I'm going to be preaching on as a full message real soon, but I just, I couldn't help but extract a couple paragraphs out of the sermon that I've already got written to use tonight because it fits. The story is about a man named Shimei in 2 Samuel 16. Shimei is one of, Brother Justin Sonatek, Shimei is one of those, I accomplish nothing, but I criticize everybody, people. He's a rock thrower. Every person that comes up is a threat to him. He's a rock thrower. He's a rock thrower. Shimei is one of those guys that has no problem disrespecting David, his pastor. Has zero issues with disrespecting his, his godly authority. None whatsoever. 
as if it just, just water off a duck's back. That's Shimei. Shimei is related to Saul, David's our tribal. David has the utmost respect for his rival. I don't get that. I, I do get it, but I'll, I, I'm not there. I don't get it in my own personal walk. Shimei likes to throw rocks and sling accusations and be disrespectful. David's over here just trying to be David. I want to tell a story here. I'm, I don't know why I feel like I need to lay that out there, but let me just tell this story. Many years ago, way, way, way back, 10, 12, 15 years before we left that sanctuary over there, there was probably six or seven years, Brother Hull, that we, we would go on a fishing trip, a men's fishing trip in the summer. We'd, we'd leave about the 10th, the 15th of June, we'd go to Flutina down past Copper Center. And we'd always leave after a Wednesday night service. We'd drive all night long, just a bunch of brothers laughing and being silly, eating and, and, and being crazy. And just had a good time, had a good time. Well, this particular year, Brother Rick, I had asked Brother Churchill, Pastor Churchill then, to come preach Wednesday night, and he was going to go fishing with us for a couple of days. We'd always come back Saturday, just sunburnt and... Just, you know how it goes. Get a good, crazy good time for a couple of, day, couple of days. And I got the brothers together on the Sunday preceding the Wednesday night. Pastor Churchill wasn't here yet. I said, listen, brothers, got Brother Churchill coming to preach for us. We're going to have a good time, laid out all the plans. I said, do me a favor. Because I said this to everybody, but we had two men I was trying to address these comments to. We had two men that respected nothing that was godly or pastoral. Nothing. Nothing. I said, listen. This is Pastor Stuart Charles Churchill coming to preach. He is not Stuart. He is not Stu. He is Pastor Stuart Churchill. If you can't bring yourself to say pastor, he's Brother Churchill. And I only said that because there were a couple of guys, and they, they just, it didn't matter. It just didn't matter. It don't matter if you had Peter, Paul, Jesus, and the Pope walked by. They disrespected him. Holy Ghost filled, have Jesus name baptized brothers. So I told him, don't do that. Don't do that. I respect this man too much. He's my pastor. Let's show a little dignity and Christian character and give honor where honor is due. And of course, one all weekend long, from the time we even had church that night. Hey, Stu, good to see you. Hey, Stuart, good to have you. Shimei. Shimei. I disrespect anything that is remotely considered authority over me. Shimei. All weekend long. Took him aside. You like, I'm letting that go. You're crazy. Took him aside Saturday night on the way back. I said, I, I've never been more humiliated in my life. I try everything I can to put this man in the place he belongs, in my heart, a place of, of respect and dignity. And so, so your mama didn't raise you right or something. Some people just going to say, watch me anyway, Pastor. Watch me anyway. I'll tell you who's watching you should be concerned with. Well, Shimei is this guy. And Shimei knows a little bit about this rebellion going on between David and Absalom. 
And Shimei makes a statement that God is retaliating against David because of the rebellion of Absalom, his son. And so he comes to meet David. He's got a he's got a quiver full of rocks or a bag full of rocks. And he's throwing stones at David, not only verbally but physically. And David's got a man named Abishai and Benaiah. And these boys, they got David's back, all right? These are the boys that David had to say, calm down. I know you respect the authority. I know you got my back. But you're taking it too far here. Shimei is saying, you punk David, you, you rebellious, throwing rocks at David. And this man says, David, just give me the word and he'll say nothing else. And he wasn't talking about going there and bargaining a peace treaty with him. He's going to shut his mouth forever. And David, who gets burdened over even the thought of cutting Saul's garment. You want to talk about dignity, character, and class? David's respect and honor for authority were next level. Next level. Not only his prayer life, but his dignity was next level. Some people, Brother Playo, pray a lot, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for praying people. Sooner or later, people that pray a lot are going to get it right. Just by reason of odds, they're going to hit, they're going to hit the jackpot one day. I'm not jo- I'm, I'm joking, but I'm not joking. Thank God for people that just get in there and try and try and try and try and try and try. But I have seen it in this case. Sometimes people get so caught up in prayer life, they're, they're, they're very spiritual, but they're not very practical. Garbage on the floor, and they walk by right by it. Your prayer ain't doing much. Someone needs to pick that garbage up right there. I just feel like I need to preach about that a while, Brother Larry. I'm just trying to tell you that there is a line of balance in everything. We need to learn. I need to learn to pray more effectively. But if my head is in the clouds, then my pride is on full display. What good is it if you're praying in here till you're making the carpet wet and the doors aren't locked at night when you go home? Losing some people, I'm telling you tonight. Hallelujah. Well, he made so many questionable decisions, I can't deny them either. Absalom, Joab, Abner. What was David thinking? I don't know. But his son wrote this scripture in Ecclesiastes 2.16. How does the wise man die? Just like the fool. Everybody makes questionable decisions. But not everybody's Prayers are offered as a model, as a plan, as a template to dive into, to dissect. Staying in that vein of thought. Have you ever thought about in 1 Samuel 22, verse 2, the Bible describes people that came to David were stressed out. They weren't contented with their life and they were broke. Distressed, discontented, 
and in debt. And they came to David for what reason? For what reason? I see a position of <laughs> remorse and humility. We don't have the answers. We need someone like a man that's after God's own heart. We need a man that knows how to pray. We need a man that knows how to get beside his pride and seek the throne of God with sincerity. Listen to, listen to this result of one issue from a recent poll. One question that stood out to me. It's not worth even talking about the others. Church members across the United States were asked, thousands of them, what is the number one reason why you attend church regularly? What's the number one? We don't care about the second, third, fourth. They ask, what's the number one reason why you faithfully attend this church, that church, wherever? The number one reason by far, not even close, that people said we go to church regularly is fellowship. Not the music, not the preaching. Fellowship. I just sat there reading that thinking, that, how could that be true? How could that be true? I love to fellowship. I really do. And you love to fellowship. But I don't come here because I think you're going to be here tonight. And I hope Brother Toss sends a church with me tonight. I, just, I love hanging out with him. I want him to be there. But I don't come because anybody's here other than where two or three are gathered together in my name. There am I going to be in the midst of them. And I personally believe that these desperate men came to David not so they could fellowship, but they knew that man had answers. That man had answers that could be exchanged to them, communicated to them through his prayer life. They were looking for leaders that calmed, stayed the course and calmed the troubled water. Sure, a man after God's own heart. Now check this out. We just read this. David said in Psalm 51, 7, in his prayer, purge me with hyssop. He didn't say, bless me with a new job. Nothing wrong with that. Bless me with riches. Nothing wrong with that. Hey, you know you know how we know if a prayer is good or not? If he does it. If he answers your prayer, who am I to say that was a bad prayer? Uh, Josh and the whole family dropped off. Mr. Herring this morning at the airport. And of course I get this collage of pictures of Jack's crying and Jake crying. And and uh, about an hour later, two hours, whatever, they taxied out on the runway and had some kind of issue. Back to the gate, canceled the flight, put Sister Herring on a flight for tomorrow instead of today. And so I get these pictures of these kids all grinning and laughing now. <laughs> and Jade told Sister Herring, Jesus answered my prayers, Grandma. I'm like, delete, delete, delete. 
True story, though. Purge me with hyssop. Hyssop was a plant that the priests used in ceremonial cleansings, like for the plagues and diseases that would come among the people. But hyssop was also used to sprinkle blood on the altar at the Passover time. The blood, repentance, breaking of my will, self-submission of my pride. Effective praying requires, number one, that I put my pride in, on, in check. And number two, that I come to God humbly. If my people, which are called by my name, Second Chronicles 7, 14, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, humble myself and pray, humble myself and pray, check my pride, humble myself. Shimei, I said, what you going to do about it, David? You're a big man of God. What you think you can do about it? Some people just don't know how close they are. When Abishai and Benaiah are sitting over here, David, give me the word, and he won't say another word. He'll never speak another word. Some, some rebellious people just don't know how close they are to the end. <laughs> the beauty of that, I have to, I have to just wrap it up here, but, I, but I, I'm not done. I just want to get to my, my third point here. In David's life, there's so many examples already said to you. And one of those that has spoke to me so often in the last 10 or 12 years is when David, with Abishai again in 1 Samuel 26, Saul falls asleep and Abishai says, look who's down there taking a nap. God has delivered your enemy into your hand. Let's take Saul's life. And you know what David says? Leave him alone. The enemy is right there, and David says, don't touch him. Why not retaliate? Hey, come on, let's think, let's think like you and I do here, all right? If this cat has troubled you your whole life, you're on the run because of him, and he falls asleep at your very feet, I wonder how many of us would think, must be God. Must be, surely it's God. If God brought it to us, why not go ahead and take advantage of it? All right, now I'm going to get carnal, but spiritual at the same time. Robert Greene wrote a book, best-selling author, 48 Laws of Power. It is not a Christian book. It's not a spiritual book. I've referred to it a few times. I'd recommend it to anybody. Now, there's some stuff in there. I wouldn't want your kids to read it. He's not a Christian. And some of those laws are a little bit, mm -hmm. but he got it from the corporate world. He climbed the ladder to the highest rungs, made untold buckets of money, very successful author, very high tech in that, in that world. Robert Greene wrote The 48 Laws of Power. I've read it twice. Number one law, please listen to this. It sounds crazy, but understand the backdrop I just painted for you. Number one law that he said he observed in the corporate world, in the business world, in the power world, Hollywood, Nashville, Madison Avenue, Park Avenue. He said, the number one law is never outshine your master. Let me explain. He got a job at a very high-tech corporation. Trained, 
very trained. In fact, Robert Greene says, it didn't take me long in this new high-paid job to realize my knowledge exceeded my boss's knowledge far and away. He said, I realized I knew so much more about this industry than the man that hired me. And he said, being young and without wisdom, I set out to prove it. He said, I saw it in the corporate world everywhere. Some young upstart, some rebellious person come into the company, and they've been cross-trained and multitask trained, and they have a lot of knowledge, maybe even more than the superiors who hired them. And they've got to strut their stuff and flex their muscles. And Robert Greene said, I fell right into that trap. Not only did he, this is his words, I make my superior, inferior feeling, but he said, he just fired me. And he said, that's the genesis for the number one law of his book, is even if you are able to outshine the master, never take the chance. If you're put in your place, honor it with humility and dignity. Never take people down so you can climb up. I have read that number one law and the paragraphs that follow, I'll bet 20 times since then. Never pull people down just because you can. That's what's going on with David here. They said, let me just cut his head off. David says, don't touch him. I know you can. I know we could. tell you, that takes dignity. That takes respect, as I've said twice, to another level. Never wanting to outshine, outdo, outshow. I wonder how many people would honestly show their hands. Don't, don't, don't. But how many would show your hands if in your business world, in the empire where you make a living, in the trade where you are employed, we've seen things like that go on. Maybe we've even been on both sides of that. never accused me of being bathed in wisdom as a young man. Listen to what David says, though. When Abishai says, let me just stop the man. 1 Samuel 26, 10, he says, this is what's going to happen. Sooner or later, Saul will get his due. He'll go into battle, I'm quoting verse 10, and he'll either die in battle or his time to expire on earth will come. My words. He said, let's not lay our hands to that result, to that end wisdom right there. Just because I can tear somebody down does not mean God is allowing me to tear somebody down. I'm trying to feel something tonight. Number one, I've got to check my pride at the altar. Number two, I've got to show up to God with humility. I've got to fight everything within me that's trying to say, I deserve better. I know more than him. I've got more going on than them. Humbly come before God. And then number three, and David certainly taught us this, showed us this exemplified this. After you pray, after I pray, then trust God for the result. Not only did David know how to pray, but he also knew how to trust God after he prayed. I love Psalm 56.3. It says, what time I am afraid, 
I'm going to trust the Lord. When I'm intimidated, worried, afraid, bothered, hindered, obstructed, David just said, I'm just going to trust God. He didn't bring me this far to leave me. Somehow, somehow God's going to see me through. I, I, I'm not going to tell you today that if, if you get up and say, Pastor Herring said, if I humble myself and I repent of my sin and I trust you, you're going to answer every prayer. I don't, I don't know that. But I know this from David's examples. We, we dare not come to God expecting an answer in the sense of he owes me. Faith, yes, but not pride and repentance. He said, would you, would you purge me with hyssop? Cleanse me from secret faults, one place he said. Secret sins. Would you purge me from the thoughts that are trying to distract me, discourage me, derail me, pull me aside? I've said it before, but I believe anybody that's concerned about being effective in prayer, somewhere in your communication with God, you need to learn to say these words. God, would you protect me from myself too? That is 100% truth, sir. Because there's time, Brother Anthony. Uh, I need that. I'm closing with this, I, I promise you. And I'm reading again out of the King James Version. I'm just talking about David's prayer of affliction. Listen to David. I say that because in the heading, it's it's... It's given the authorization of David's work. You have possessed my reign, Psalm 139, verse 13. That means his heart. You have covered me in my mother's womb before I even became a man. He said, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from you when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which is continuance, which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. Verse 17, David said, how precious also are your thoughts to me. I do believe that in prayer, I'm not trying to be hocus pocus. Some people take some things to crazy extremes. I believe in prayer that we should also listen as much as we talk. You can listen while you're talking. Do you know that? How many times you've been praying and something just checked your soul? Something just speaking to your head. Sleeping in the middle of the night. Wore out and working all day. And get up and go, why, why am I so wide awake at 3 a.m.? I'm tired, but I'm wide awake. And suddenly Dave Needham's face pops into my mind. I'll tell you why he wakes you up. Somebody needs to hear you. Somebody needs to be praying. Somebody needs prayer. Maybe they don't even know it. He's going to use you. All right, listen to what David said. 
How precious are your thoughts to me, O God? Anybody want to know what God's thinking? Anybody want to know what God thinks about your prayer life? You want me to change my approach, God? You want me to change how I structure my sentences? Tell me, God, how to be more effective. Your thoughts are beautiful to me. How great is the sum of them, the total of them. One last verse, Psalm 139, verse 18. If I should count them, your thoughts, your thoughts to me, O God, they are more in number than the sand on the sea. When I am awake, I realize I'm still with you, God. So when the disciples said, would you teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray? I think here's the teacher's manual. If we'll just take it seriously, if we will work half as hard at praying as we do running from it, I better disappear to the coffee shop. It's prayer time. We work so hard to get away from the thing that's going to help us the most. I so appreciate the crowds I've been seeing at prayer meeting the last couple of months. I so appreciate it. And I've told you until you don't even want to hear it anymore. But I preached for Danny Purdue years ago. We went elk hunting and uh, went to his church. Monday night was prayer meeting night there. He had a church about the size of ours. If everybody was there, he might have had 180 to 200 people. I, I, I sat in prayer meeting and just looked in absolute embarrassment and humility. I counted 141 people in that sanctuary praying on a Monday night prayer meeting. I thought, God, whatever they're doing, I need to take it home to Palmer. That's, I'm not comparing you. I, I opened this, or I used that statement a moment ago. I'm so happy with the crowds I've been seeing on prayer meeting night around here. It, it's, it's stirring me up. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Don't let the enemy tell you you don't have time to pray. Don't. Brother, I don't care if you build an empire. There's got to be a balance in our life of spirit and truth. We've got to pray. Don't let the enemy tell you overtime's worth more to your family than prayer meeting it is. The enemy's lying. He knows what you're going to get if you keep going to prayer meeting. He knows sooner or later you're going to hit a home run. You're going to figure some things out about your personal prayer life and the word of God. He knows if you skip, if you just don't take that overtime and show up at another prayer service, he knows. He sees you getting closer. He sees you getting hotter. He sees you getting more sincere about your prayer life. I don't want to learn how to pray out of strictly afflicted times in my life. I want to learn how to pray by the examples that are here as well. God love you tonight. Thank you, Jesus, for your mercy. Give you all the glory, God, and the honor, and praise your worthy name. What, what a precious, what a precious place, God, that you invite us to. A place of fellowship with you. 
a sweet closet of prayer, God, where we can draw near unto you. We can draw nigh unto your glorious presence, God. A sweet, honorable place where our souls are fed, our hearts are encouraged, our minds are renewed, our inner men are strengthened. Ah, but if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. Prayer is not some aftermarket modification. Prayer is essential to your living for God. It's fuel to your tank. It's fire to your energy level. It's direction on your compass. Teach me to pray, oh God. Teach me to pray, God, like a seasoned veteran in the kingdom of God. Help me to learn how to pray, God. What do, you, what do you want me to adjust in my prayer time? How I stand, how I sit, how I speak, how I think. Teach me to pray, Lord. Teach me to pray, Lord. Teach me to pray so that souls are affected. My neighborhood is revived. My job site sees work of God. I want to learn to pray. If you want me to pray longer, teach me to pray longer. If you want me to pray shorter, teach me to pray shorter. You want me to pray more sincerely, teach me to pray more sincerely. Help me, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Precious name of Jesus. Name above all other names. No hurry here. If you got to go, I understand. But we're just going to pray a while. We're going to practice this a while tonight. Oh, Jesus. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul. Disciples didn't ask to teach them how to preach. Didn't ask to teach them how to fast. Teach us to pray, Lord. Teach us to pray, Lord. 